Hello, this is the Surviving Healthcare Podcast, and I have a repeat guest on, Scott Shera, who has a remarkable story from before, but he's going to give us an update. Um, Scott's daughter was essentially murdered by a hospital protocols and by the doctors working under those protocols. And I, it's, a, it's, it's a hard story to believe. I had a Robert Garmung on the uh, podcast also, who had a very similar story with his wife. And uh, so, and I had to put references, otherwise I wouldn't have believed it myself. But uh, anyway, Scott, welcome and uh, tell us what's going on. Well, I've got a few updates that are extremely important, and that's why I'm I'm coming on specially to communicate these updates. So the first one is by far and away the most important because it, it sets the stage for the next, what's coming next. And so we, we everybody that's awake knows that the public health emergency was re-upped on October 13th of 2022. Interestingly, that's the one year anniversary of Grace's murder. So the public health emergency is what the government needs in order to accomplish three things. Number one is it provided immunity from the for the vaccine manufacturers, which now that has gone away because the supposed vaccine is on the childhood vaccination schedule. Number two is that the uh, it provided immunity from liability under the PrEP Act. And number three, it provided the bonus payments for hospitals to follow the NAH protocols that, that are murdering people. So anyway, that's due to come up again this next week. And personally, I don't think they're going to re-up it. You know, how can you keep re-upping an emergency for, for three years now? But the main the main reason I think that is because they set in motion another another thing. And the the person who turned me on to this is Kate Shemarani. She started British Nursing Alliance and she's she is into this deep into the UK. And she has found out in the UK that the government is paying hospitals uh, to euthanize the patients to the tune of 2,000 people a day. And that's essentially what the hospitals need to be able to break even. So when I talked with her before Christmas, she said, Scott, I think the same thing is likely happening in the United States, but you've got to find the smoking gun. So I believe I have found the smoking gun. And so if we go all the way back to when Obamacare was was put in place on March 23rd of 2010, the, the goal of Obamacare was to reduce the cost of the medical care to the uh, people on Medicaid and Medicare. So for reference purposes, the individuals that are on Medicaid and Medicare account for 39% of the federal budget. So they wanted to reduce that cost. The, the people who are behind Obamacare, similar to the people behind the World Economic Forum, they see the world as um, dollars and cents, um, people have a, a value, and to the extent that they're not worth anything, those people should be eliminated. So we saw that with Obamacare. I mean, people were all up in arms about death panels. You know, in, in 2018, the Independent Payment Advisory Board, which was put in place or, or recommended by Senator Jay Rockefeller, that was the original death panel, panel from Obamacare. And so that got squashed. But what I want to share is this document now that when they when they cut off the head of the dragon, they didn't kill the whole dragon because now it's reared its head again. And the reality is that 
the underlying purpose of Obamacare to reduce the cost of Medicare and Medicaid really has a, the eugenics and euthanasia um, as its goal. And obviously, I know that because Grace was murdered, but you know they used the cover of COVID. But the reality is they they are using the excuse of the 39% of the federal annual budget that the people on Medicare and Medicaid are cost, that cost the taxpayers to implement this program. And I, I say all of this because it's foolishness beyond foolishness. They just passed a, a 1.5 or whatever trillion um, omnibus package just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they can print money and spend it on whatever they want. So to say that we need to reduce the cost of Medicare and Medicaid is is absolutely craziness. And, you know, the people behind it obviously uh, <clears throat> want it to be that it's a reduction of the population. Uh, the one orchestrator that is behind Obamacare, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with Ezekiel, Ezekiel Emanuel, and he is clearly um, a person who believes that we need to ration care to the tune of getting rid of people who are not productive. So now onto this document. So this is this is a charter for what's called the Medicare Evidence Development Coverage and Advisory Committee, acronym MEDCAP. <clears throat> this was put into law by the Secretary of Health and Human Services. It was approved on November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving. It was filed on Thanksgiving, November 24th. No surprise because, you know, of course, there's the media is all shut down during that time. So nobody picked up on this uh, sleight of hands that they did. So what this organization is charged with, Robert, is for deciding. I'm reading right out of the, the charter document. It says they're charged with deciding which medical items and services are reasonable and necessary or otherwise covered for Medicare beneficiaries under Title 18 of the Social Security Act. So at first blush, you would say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not on Medicare. I'm not on Social Security. But as you well know from being in the medical profession, the, the Medicare and Medicaid standards become the standards of care for the entire country for whether you have private or public insurance. I know this firsthand because when I was diagnosed with heart disease, they wanted to put me on a statin. And I started researching, realized I don't want to do that. And one of the nurses, uh, she was, I, I really give her credit because she pulled me aside and said, Scott, I'm going to tell you something you're not going to want to hear. And I said, okay, well, tell me, what, what are you talking about? She said, the reason we are pushing this statin on you is we have to get you to subscribe to the government protocol. And the government protocol says that if you have this condition, you've got to be on a statin. Now, I, I have private insurance at the time. We don't have any insurance now, but I had private insurance at the time. So what did that have to do with anything? It's because that is the Medicare and Medicare reimbursement rates for this private insurance um, medical facility are based on whether they can get their patients subscribe to these standards that are set as standards of care for Medicare and Medicaid. So this applies to all of us. This is this is clearly uh, a step in the wrong direction, but I mean, it's a step that they've been planning for, for decades. I just, I think it's so important that, that we realize that um, as we turn the page supposedly from COVID, what's next is even worse. And what's next is, is, um, 
clearly euthanasia. So that's the first thing I wanted to cover. Do you have any questions with that, that Robert? Uh, I didn't quite understand. I Well, I didn't. Go ahead. Just continue and maybe you'll elucidate what. Well, the second thing <clears throat> is that what we, on, on December 5th, we received a memo from the Wisconsin, I'm just going to pull it out here so I have it, the Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services. This is the organization that regulates doctors in Wisconsin. They're supposed to be protecting the public. So this organization I had sent a complaint to on December 2nd of 2021 after the doctor and the hospital refused to meet with us. They did supposedly an investigation. They sent me a letter dated January 20th of 2022 that said the doctor did no wrong. So, I mean, in Grace's case, you just processed this. I mean, they gave her three meds in combination in 29 minutes that would have killed anybody. And they put an illegal DNR in her. I mean, how can they do no wrong? So anyway, this, this memo came about because an investigative reporter flew to Appleton, Wisconsin to meet me for a DNR documentary that he's doing that's coming out next week. So he starts poking around with the Department of Safety and Professional Services because he can't wrap his head around why did, would they say that the hospital and doctor did no wrong? It doesn't make any sense. So they send him a letter that's dated January 3rd of 2022. So I got that letter confidentially. It's a seven-page letter from the doctor's attorney rebutting the complaint that I filed. So this letter has roughly 50 lies in it. So if, if you're doing an investigation, wouldn't you, so I'm the person who filed the complaint. Of course, then you write to the doctor, hey, we got this complaint. The doctor hires an attorney. They write a response. Wouldn't you then contact me and say, hey, we got this response. What is your response to the response? I mean, that would be a proper investigation, but they didn't. I didn't get that letter until August. And so then I'm shocked when I get it and I see, oh my gosh, they are, you know, my eyes have been opened. They're all in on this. You know, and, and what this is, is a depopulation agenda. And that's why the first document's important is to show this is their legal way that they are going to implement euthanasia in the United States legally. That's the first document. Then the practical way that they do it is with the state organizations. So in now I, I get to the December 5th memo. So this investigative reporter keeps poking around. And so now we've got um, my original complaint, their response saying the doctor did no wrong. We have the response from the doctor. The investigative reporter asked, were the rules changed? Was the state statute changed at all for, for COVID? They say no. So he still pokes. Finally, they write him this, this letter dated January, or December 5th, so just a month ago. And it says specifically, chapter 154, which is the DNR statute in Wisconsin, of the Wisconsin statutes does not apply to physicians operating in a hospital, non-emergency room setting, such as the one in question. So that means, just process what that means. I mean, it means that a doctor can unilaterally put a DNR on a patient without the patient or their power of attorney's permission if it's in a hospital non-emergency room setting. I mean, you can't make this up. It is so crazy. I mean, how can this possibly be? So they're they're making law. This 
this organization, the Department of Safety and Professional Services, which is supposed to be protecting me, is making laws to say doctors don't have to follow the state statute if they're or, in a or the constitutional. Or the constitutional. I mean, you can't. Yeah. It's so egregious, but this is how they do it. I mean, Robert, you of course you know. I mean, this is how. Uh, you know, the, the rule box that you and I operate under is not what's what's happening. I mean, they they make up their own unilateral rules. So, I mean, now we have obviously a new death panel. That's a unilateral rule. I mean, it's done on Thanksgiving Day. And we see on a state level, how are they implementing the, how are they getting around the state statute? So then, you know, we're one of the few cases where we actually dug into the records and found out what's going on. But, you know, by the time our case gets heard, it's going to be two years down the road. And so now, you know, multiple, you know, thousands and thousands of people are going to die in the meantime. That's why I keep going on and, and talking about this stuff to try to, to, to just save people's lives. I mean, it's so it's so simple. I mean, you just have an obligation to do that. So anyway, do you have a question? I have a third one to go through, but do you have a question? On that? Sure. I don't understand the mechanism for the euthanasia that you mentioned in the first uh, first part. So the mechanism, in order to, so if you read between the lines, so Ezekiel Emanuel, uh, I'm going to see if I can find this real quick so you can get the mechanism. Okay, here. So in so in his writings all the way back to 1996, he writes regarding healthcare. This is a quote: "Services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed." So, I mean, just pro he's he's the instigator behind Obamacare. So this is the essence of Obamacare. Is that they they're saying that the collectivism versus individualism, the 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 people who don't contribute to society should not get the same level of Medicare or not not Medicare the same level of medical services as somebody who is contributing to society. And then what what if you look at the Medicare Trustees Report dated August thirty first of two thousand twenty one, it says specifically in there we have to make substantial changes to Medicare and Medicaid because it's it's going to be bankrupt. And so I read substantial changes. You know, I'm reading all of this in the context of what's really going on. Substantial changes, you, you read Ezekiel Emanuel's writings. Um, you see what the World Economic Forum's doing. You see what they did to Grace. Substantial changes means we've got to take these people out and we're willing to pay hospitals to do that because it costs 39% of the annual federal budget. So these people are not contributing. They're a drain on society and we have got to take them out. So now they have the legal document, which in, in the case of Obamacare, the legal document was the Independent Payment Advisory Board. Congress shut that down in 2018. So then the death panels were not there anymore. Well, this document says what the death panels were going to do with Obamacare is now reinstated. It says that this organization, MedCap, has the power to decide which medical items and services are reasonably are reasonable and necessary. They're deciding unilaterally what is the standard of care. <laughs> I think we're going to have to wait until this gets implemented somehow in order to in order to get get a handle on it. 
Well, I, I would tend to agree with you other than they're they're implementing so fast. Um, you know, look <clears> at <throat> look at how fast they implemented remdesivir and ventilators. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, now all of a sudden we're we're three years into this. At this point, we're three years into this. We just did a hospital rescue on November 5th, two months ago, our first hospital rescue. And remember, I said the public health emergency was re-upped on October 13th of 2022. We did a hospital rescue on November 5th of a disabled man in a hospital in Green Bay. He has spinal muscular atrophy, which is quite a condition. I mean, his whole he's, he's very smart, but he can't eat. He gets fed through a tube in his stomach. He only weighs 40 pounds. Um, you took so him home. In other words, you he, took him home. He gets checked into the hospital. The sister, because we have billboards up, the sister it, is able to track me down and said, can you help? I said, well, tell me what's going on. And so she said, well, my brother, they said they, he has COVID. He got admitted to the hospital. I thought, and he t she tells me about SMA, what he has. I said, they're going to try to kill him because he's disabled and the public health emergency is done. And now he's tested positive for COVID, which, you know, interestingly, both him and his mother, one half hour before they went to the hospital, tested themselves because they didn't feel well. They tested themselves with a home test. Both were negative. A half hour later, they get to the hospital. They're both positive. No surprise, because that's how the money gets paid. You can't receive you know, the starting point for these hospitals receiving these egregious bonuses is they have to test positive for COVID first. They so, can use the test that overdiagnosed by 10 to 1, 9 to 1. Exactly. The PCR test. It's crazy that they're, they're, they're still using this. So anyway, the... Um, you took this guy out of the hospital. We physically removed him 11 and a half hours later. Did you have Saturday a sheriff night. or somebody to back you up? <laughs> no. No, you just did it yourself. <laughs> Yeah, we, well, I would say God backed this up. It was, it's quite a miracle. We watched it right in front of our eyes. So I'll just hit some high points and you can understand it. So, you know, I've never done a hospital rescue before, but I have met, um, you know, Nicole from Truth for Health Foundation, uh, Laura Bartlett, Dr. Dr. Bartlett's sister, who does hospital rescues, uh, Greta from Protocol Kills. So when the, the sister had contacted me on November 3rd, and so I told her, you know, what to watch out for. They're going to try to kill him. You got to be an advocate. No remdesivir, no ventilator, uh, no jabs. And so she's, yeah, I got it, Scott. Okay, great. So then she texted me on November 4th, Friday night at 11 p.m. I was already in bed. So when I got up in the morning, I read her text. said, she's already been given remdesivir. Oh, my God. And so I'd, I got a hold of her. I said, this is an emergency. And she's, you know, he's skeptical. The brother's skeptical because, of course, the doctor, unbelievably, the doctor tells him, you, you've got COVID, but the good news is we have an <laughs> antiviral right. that you'll be better in three days. Most of my patients are better in two. That antiviral was remdesivir. Oh my God. And Who so was that anyway, guy? Said, had you ever you heard of this doctor before? I hadn't. No. And I, I asked if, um, or she asked if I could send some information on remdesivir. I emailed her right away. She showed her brother. Her brother said, can you have, well, can you call Scott and see if he'll come to the hospital and help? So I did. I was there then at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. And when I got there, I, you know, you can't understand what it's like to meet a 40 pound man who is near death 
and you know they haven't taken care of him they they're not bathing him they're not doing anything i mean he's he's barely breathing in bed so i i got down next to him in the bed and i just put my arm around him and gave him a hug and just said you know i'm here to help you robert i prayed with him and he looked me in the eye and you know it really just it really impacted me because he said scott please don't leave me and i said i won't and you know, on the way to the hospital, I was talking to um, uh, Laura Bartlett. She gave she uh, sent me an email with uh, with a doc set of documents that are called advanced directives. And so then um, I was able to swing by a credit union. I got the documents printed, and basically it lays out in writing what rights we're taking back as a patient. And so. Um, Robert is still coherent at this point. And so we his sister is the power of attorney. We I re, we go through the entire document with, with him line by line. He agrees with every single point. So then we the next step, I mean, you can't make this up either, because in June I spoke at a a um an event in June in Tennessee. And I, at that event, I met Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Paul Merritt. They both were on the same stage with me speaking with, you know, at different times. Anyway, so I got to meet them. I got to, you know, I rode with Peter McCullough to the airport in the same van. So we chatted for 45 minutes. And ultimately, you know, so now I'm in this situation. We got the form done, but I'm wondering, okay, before we give the form to the doctor, we better have our arms around what we've got to do. So I texted Peter McCullough and he said, I don't have time today. Get a hold of Merrick. I said, I don't have Merrick's cell phone number. He texted it back. I I did a quick text to Paul Merrick summarizing what's going on. He called the hospital room five minutes later. So I put put him on speakerphone and he lays out, you know, we got to get him this amount of ivermectin, this amount of NAC, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, and and get the doctor to prescribe budesonide. So I called my wife. I said, bring in my ivermectin, my NAC, vitamin C, vitamin D, because there's no way the hospital is going to do that. And she said, how can I do that? You know, you know, because when Grace was in the hospital, it was like under an armed guard situation. I said, we have complete freedom. And so you just walk through the front door, come to this room and just bring the bring the stuff in. So she did. We broke apart pills. We we got a concoction together to inject into Robert's stomach, um, you know, through his feeding tube. Then we called the doctor in and we gave him this form. We went through the form with him. We said, we're not doing any of this stuff anymore. Remove the remdesivir. Now, Robert had already been given three doses of remdesivir. Wow. Three doses and more is a 75% kill rate. Yeah. And with his body weight, the protocol that they're supposed to follow if they're following remdesivir, they gave him double what they should have given for a 40 pound man. So he had gotten the equivalent of six doses. You know, I, I thought he was going to die for sure. We got him out of bed, bathed him, gave him, gave him the stuff. We, we met with the doctor then and said, we want ivermectin. We want, you know, and he rejected everything other than budesonide. So then he ordered a budesonide uh, treatment so we gave him all of the stuff that Paul Merrick suggested, got him the budesonide treatment, and by about, um, it was probably one thirty, two o'clock, you could see, I mean, it was a complete turnaround. You could see he's going to make it. What do you think it was? Just stopping the uh, remdesivir, or what do you think the, the most important part of the therapy was? Do you think he had a response to ivermectin that quickly? Um, I think it was that 
if I, I think it was a combination of a whole bunch of things. Um, I think it was that he all of a sudden realized he was going to live. And when we got him out of the bed and into his wheelchair um, and started talking and, you know, my, what I did personally to boost his confidence, you know, they want you to gown up and all this junk. And so I didn't wear any of the stuff. Um, I just wanted him to see that this is okay. You don't have to be yeah. fearful. Whereas the doctor, when he, when the doctor came in, the doctor had a beard. And so the contraption he had on, it was all sealed off around his neck, of his oh, ears. God. I mean, it was like he was ready for an Apollo landing. Um, and so it was interesting because after we gave the doctor the, the, um, advanced directives for him now he he came back in and he didn't have anything on so i mean he knew the gig was up yeah i mean isn't that it is so strange i mean it wow. was you know you wish you would have had a video camera rolling the entire time and you know one of the things that really hit me hard is right at the end you know so now i got there at nine o'clock in the morning about 8 30 is when we're starting to you know we're we're wheeling him out and they're wanting us to sign this against medical advice form and we refused to sign it. And then they wouldn't remove his his IVs. You know, they just were belligerent. And then there was a shift change and a, a um, Filipino nurse came on. And Robert said that that she was she was decent. And so um, she was willing to take the IVs out. And so then now we're we've got everything packed up and she's in the room. You know, so it's, it's my wife. Uh, me, Robert, his sister and his mother and this nurse. And so I said to the nurse, I said, um, you know, I, I don't have these opportunities. You know, I've never had this opportunity, but now, you know, you're here. I want to just ask you, uh, I said, you know, I said, you don't have to, you don't have to acknowledge this, but you know, they're trying to kill him. And so I don't understand how you would go along with this. And she said, I'm from the Philippines, and if I do not follow the protocols that they give me, they will ship me back. Oh, my God. And so I have to do it this way. So she was a very kind nurse. Um, she got it. You know, she knew they're going to kill him, but she was just going to make his death comfortable and be a kind nurse. I mean, it's like, I mean, that really hit me. Um, oh, Scott, next time you have to get a camera, a video camera and, and well, put it on your shirt and, and do it so they don't see what you're doing, you know, like a police badge cam, you know. I, you know, I'm so thankful that, that he made it in, you know, uh, uh, an interesting thing that happened. So now we're, you know, so we've already now we, we started him on the stuff. We got him out, got him in his chair. Um, you know, they've, they've acknowledged that, you know, we're stopping everything. 45 minutes after that meeting with the doctor, a nurse comes in the room to give Robert the flu COVID vaccine. <laughs> Oh my God. I know they get a like bonus said, for that too. It would be um, you know, neat to have a camera rolling. I mean, you're you know, when you're in these you know, I don't think like that. You know, I'm just I'm just there to help a guy, you know, trying to save his life. And you know, you're not thinking about the camera. The one thing I did think about was that 
when he said to me what the doctor told him about remdesivir, at that point, I thought, I don't think he's going to make it. So I had my wife audio record him saying that because I thought, you know, the family's going to want to have this if he doesn't make it, you know, to have what the doctor told him in his own words. So anyway, that's the third thing I wanted to mention is this medical directives form. Um, I sent all three of those things, you know, the the smoking gun document, the state DNR, and then the medical directives form um, to you in preparation for this interview. So if you want to include those in the show notes, um, that would help your your listeners, of course. That's great. I've got a uh, advanced directive in my Cassandra's memo book, and I'll oh. have a look at this and see if I need to improve it. Um, I've heard rumors that they're giving too much fluid to some of these people and they die, die of over, over, you know, very swollen and, and that. So I included a fluid recommendation in mine and also a blood transfusion recommendation that they not get blood transfused unless they have a hemoglobin under five, which is very conservative. It's, you know, you, you've lost over half your blood volume typically if you've got a hemoglobin over, but it's not necessary. You can live through that. The thing you don't want is you don't want the uh, spike protein and the problems. Right. And uh, since if you believe it, 80% of us are vaccinated, uh, then uh, then the, you've got a good chance of getting that, you know, four out of five or whatever. Absolutely. I think the unvaccinated blood thing is 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 definitely a big deal. Um, no, no doubt about it. Um, the, you know, your form may be better. I'm working with the the uh, two ladies who developed this form because there's a whole bunch more that has been learned. So unvaccinated blood isn't even part of this form yet. Yeah, I've but got the fluids and the unvaccinated blood and yeah. uh, some other stuff. But you can have a look at it. These are all a work in progress. And Scott, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, you think you'll be involved in another one like this? Well, I'm I'm game for it. I mean, I look at you know what I don't I I don't want Grace's death to be in vain. So I mean, you know, I, I never thought I'd do a hospital rescue, but you know, if if that's what I'm called to do, I'm I'm way more prepared the second time. That's for sure. And I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a camera rolling. You need a you need to get online. And I think there's something called a spy store. And then you can you can get that. Hopefully, it'll hook right up to your uh, cell phone, and you'll go on your cell phone with Bluetooth or something. But uh, yeah, that's this could have been patched together into a, a Who Done It movie. Um, you know, if, if you had the footage, I mean, it, it, and it could have been uh, could be ten minutes long, fifteen minutes long for the whole thing, and make those idiots look like the freaking uh, psychopaths they are. I don't well, I don't know how they can get them to do this. I, it's shocking to me. I. Uh... You know, and, and watching this unfold in real time with your own eyes, you know, the doctor first comes in with the spacesuit, and yeah. then when he realizes the gig is up, you know, he's like, I mean, because he knows, he know, I mean, it's so obvious they know that this is a lie. You know, and then you know, once once you'll love this because my once Robert turned around, you know, him and I started joking around with each other, and then one of the these head nurses comes in, and I don't have any of the garb on. So I'm just sitting at, you know, I have my hoodie and you know, I don't have any gloves, no mask, nothing. And and the the standard wear that they have, you know, it's one size fits all. And Robert's mother is fairly small. So so she's taking <laughs> she took the sleeves off of the off of the garb and and tore them to make them fit. So, 
you know, so she's got the stuff on that, you know, because you're outside the room, they want you to gown up. And I, I didn't do any of that stuff. So anyway, the this head nurse comes in and, you know, and I don't have anything on. I said to her, and I'm pointing at Robert's mother. I said, is this okay what she's doing over here? I mean, she's got these sleeves torn and it just doesn't look like it's it's going to work out. And, you know, she's then she starts criticizing the mother. No, you can't be doing this. She can't even see that. I don't have anything on, you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Scott, this uh, this uh, faux um, sterile procedure or faux protective garb is gaslighting on steroids. You're ratifying a lie that they make a difference. And when you do that, you're just participating in the the confusion process, in the lie process. It's like mandating masks, ordinary masks that don't that are a thousand the pores in them are a thousand times too big to stop a virus. And when you when you wear that mask, you are you're like the kids standing on the platform with the transgender uh, male uh, at the top of the female platform, and all the little girls stand there because they still want their college scholarships, their second, third, fourth, and fifth. And he's at the top of the platform. He was 60th the year before in the male category, and he won the female cross country thing, you know, in Florida. So uh, so you're 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 ratifying the the lie. Um, so good for you that you didn't do that. I mean, it's just, it's freaking ridiculous that nobody needed to gown or do anything because the guy didn't really even have COVID. I mean, it was just nonsense. I mean, it was just nonsense from start to finish. Did you ever find, uh, I, you know, I'm quite sure there's some bonus for these freaking people who do die, uh, when they're under the COVID, uh, uh, treatment pro protocol, right? Their quote treatment. Um, and I'm convinced based on your story and uh, Robert Garmung's story and many other people that um, there must be a final bonus for it. But it, otherwise, they they wouldn't try so avidly to kill him with the sedatives. You know, why would they knock him off with the sedatives if there wasn't a bonus for that? Why not keep him as long, live as long as possible and reap the ICU stay benefits and give him more drugs and kind of milk him along, keep him, keep him going, you know? So the Tennessee Liberty Network, um, that's A.J. Dupree, she's, she really is the um, one who's invested the time on this. And we found out with the two things listed on Grace's death certificate, the first one was acute respiratory failure with hypoxemia. The second one was COVID-19 pneumonia, that the hospital with that combination received just over 20000 in bonus uh, from, from A.J. Dupree's research. So it, it it they do get a bonus, and all they have to do is manipulate the uh, the the death uh, diagnosis. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Grace, uh, acute respiratory failure is a direct cause, according to the package insert, of using Presidex for more than twenty four hours. They use it on her for four and a half days. So that first cause of death is accurate, but the hospital caused it. And the second cause of death they list as COVID nineteen pneumonia. Well, that is a complete lie. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I, you know, if, if we ever get supposed justice in this case, you know, I, I've already said publicly many times, we don't want any money. I just want the death certificate changed to the truth. Well, is there, <laughs> what, what is the potential damages for this thing? I mean, is there, is there some sort of, can you put that hospital out of business or can you do something big or is it limited to medical malpractice, which has statutory limitations on it? I, I wish I had that answer. I, um, I'm not, we have a legal team and, you know, at this point they're basically telling me 
Shut do, all the inter- do all the interviews you want, Scott, but don't say anything about the case. Okay, I get it. That's what they always say to everyone. And sometimes <laughs> it's the right thing and sometimes it isn't. But I, Scott, thank you for everything you're doing. Is there anything else we should cover? I we, that, that does it. I sure appreciate you having me on. I'm grateful for your time. All right. Have a good one. You too.